are here for a reason. This, 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 this news just in. We are your news now. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right On Radio. You are here for a reason. And yes, you are here for a reason. And man, we've got a show for you today. Welcome to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. This is Christy. And we are super excited to bring on someone for their very first interview. Um, It's important to tell you that this story goes very deep and we have to build a foundation uh, Christy, as you can tell from our pre-interview, she has a lot of detail. She has the receipts. She has the evidence, uh, firsthand experiences, and this is some intel that you're going to want to know. But for you to be able to uh, even think there's any legitimacy to it, you have to know what her story is up front. That's right, Jeff. And she's from Georgia, the state that I'm originally from, so where the Georgia Guidestones were, uh, where the world's busiest airport is, where Candace Taylor ran for governor. Um, and it's just her story just seems absolutely like so deep that I even I'm blown away already. Well, yesterday, I, I last night, I spent over an hour with her on the phone, kind of a pre-interview. I want to make sure that some things check out. And, uh, and you know, we did a quick rapid fire uh, overview and... Let me tell you the rabbit trails that we went down. Uh, so we're going to do this in, in multiple stages. Uh, it, and every stage of it is going to be pretty important for you to understand. Uh, but I, I will make one uh, addendum to what you said. Uh, she has lived in Georgia for quite a while. Uh, we won't say exactly where. We will not give her last name. This is her first time sharing her story. And and by the way, Christy, I always say that... Uh, before I bring someone on, I ask if they're in danger or if this will put them in danger. And I want the audience to know that because uh, there is some risk to some of the things that she will say. Uh, she has no reason to lie uh, about this stuff. And she has firsthand account, uh, and particularly when she mentions members of her family, uh, that they're... <laughs> You know, there there's no benefit to her for, to do this other than she is a fighter. Uh, she's a survivor. She's an overcomer. And she has turned into a fierce fighter, uh, apparently afraid of nobody. <laughs> Christy, kind of reminds me of someone on the other side of the screen that I know. From the, <laughs> from the name she mentioned, um, she's definitely been in the room with some of the most high-level people and I know I'm going to refrain everybody from asking specific questions. And then we're going to do separated interviews based on what, what our audience wants to hear. Right, Jeff? Like what different parts? So I think they should know that ahead of time. So they don't think that we're trying to, you know, not go down specific rabbit holes. I think that's important. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll give some teasers at the end of this interview. So, or even in between, I'm sure some are going to come out, but we really want to build a foundation up uh, with her. And uh, the the one addendum I was going to make is, uh, although she's lived in Georgia for a long time, we we actually have something in common where we were both Disney kids living in Anaheim. 
she had people lit working at Disney and, uh, and you know, my story, uh, my grandfather was an architect who worked right alongside of Walt Disney. And so we were both Disney kids and we're, we're, we're exposed to some stuff. I didn't realize what I saw back then. I certainly know now, uh, but without further ado, uh, we've just given her a last name called Babe, <laughs> and uh, without further ado, let's welcome Lisa Babe to Right On Radio. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So, and Lisa, the, the I The almost... reason why I got the last name Babe is I was given that by my boss and my coworkers. That's how I got the last name Babe. I, my paychecks came accidentally. And my name on my paycheck was Lisa Babe, and it's been a joke ever since. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad you okay. clarified well, that, Lisa, so that Jeff didn't, Jeff's, you know, Jeff's, Jeff people that <laughs> were thinking that he's going to run off with the next guest. It was a joke. <laughs> gave you the name on the pre-interview. <laughs> yeah. Hey, babe. <laughs> See, that's what they all do. <laughs> It just, they're going to do it anyway. So I just made that my name on Telegram. It is hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's, let's start off now. Last night when we were talking, you started off when you're like, uh, you know, basically a very young infant. Oh yeah. And, And tell me, you know, I guess we have to talk about your father, your grandfather. Uh, but let's, let's talk about your formative years and, uh, I'm just going to let you start the story, and, and Christy and I will kind of pop in every now and again with some questions for you. Um, so basically, I've had two sets. I've had a father and a grandfather, and then I've had a stepfather and a step-grandfather, um, both of which were very formative, you know, kind of back and forth. I was an only child, um, and I was living with my mother and stepfather and being sent to spend time with my father and my grandfather, mostly my grandfather. Um, And so my, my starting out, my very first memory is at three um, watching my father pack and leave. They, my parents weren't married for a long time. Um, My mom was single. That, that, I don't even remember him living in the house. I remember living with my mom by myself. Um, And thankfully at that time, she became a part of um, a group of Christian friends that went to Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And so I had no friends. I was an only child. Um, And I spent a lot of time around these this group of guys and the reason I guess now and looking back the reason why is because I had been molested and I think she had told them and I told them and so um Karen do do you know the song Seek Ye First? I do. Karen Lafferty is the one that wrote that she was my babysitter Um, she was a part of that group Um, Chuck Smith was the pastor and the group uh, that was leading all of their worship music and doing the beach ministry um, were all of the guys that formed the band Love Song. Um, they should, they were so talented, they should have blown up nationally, but they were too honest and telling too much truth 
And so um, they were kind of relegated to just doing it at, at the church. And that little country church that started the, the original Calvary Chapel blew up so big that they put up a circus tent. That's right. That's right. I mean, like it was so huge. They had to put up a circus tent to house all the people. And what I'm describing to you is 1970, 1971, and 1972. That's how good my memory is. It seems like I can't forget anything. And they ended up doing like a thousand baptisms in the ocean. And uh, oh my like gosh, it, you, it was a sea of people. You could barely see the water. Um, and, and they did it on several beaches, actually. But my mom was spending her free time with them. And so, consequently, I was while they were writing the album Love Song. Now, what's important about this, and I'm glad you started out with that, Lisa, is because of what you went through and, you know, a lot of the other, you know, people who have survived and, and overcome these things that you've gone through, the Lord got his claws into you very early. Oh, he did. And thankfully he did through, through this group of guys, um, basically for my understanding at that age, between three and five years old, um, what they were teaching me was that Jesus was just a dude, um, who was walking from community to community with his 12 best friends, trying to explain to people there was a better way to live. They also taught me at that time that the reason why he turned over the tables in the chapel, the tab tabernacle, whatever, was because they were not selling um, animals as sacrifice. They were selling children as sacrifice. They just called them lambs. Yeah. And I didn't understand at the time what that meant, but don't we understand that now? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's that's kids' ministry, so that's a little bit odd for them to Isn't teach it? that. And, and it well, doesn't... They weren't, they weren't teaching it to me as part of a kids' ministry. We were at their house. We were at Lonnie and Sherry's house while they were teaching me this. I was the only child there. I was just right. listening to them teach each other. <laughs> So the Bible does say the money changers, and it doesn't specifically say that, but uh, right. that, that's, yeah. that's interesting that they, but that that was, they would that. was that. their take on it back then. That we, I mean, they taught me about this. And what happened was during that time, I was spending time with my mother's family and the other children, all the cousins, and they were touching each other, touching me, um, drinking urine, um, talking about seances. I mean, all the Satanist stuff that, that we're learning about now, they were all doing as 5, 10, 12, 13-year-olds when I was five myself. And that so, tells me that they learned it from their families. They, oh, they, they did. Not, they're just they not did. making that up. It was fully happening to all of us. We weren't, um, we weren't laying on the ground in a pentagram like we were talking about yesterday. It was just prevalent in everything they did, and um, they acted like adults. They it, it was obvious what was happening, not just to me, but to them, too. And it was my mother's family. So before I even got hooked up with my evil step family, it was happening in my mother's family, and all of them worked for Disney. I had an uncle that was the restaurant 
general manager for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. I've been in all the tunnels behind it and underneath it. Wow. Yeah. I had full access to the park and was allowed to walk around the park by myself with no adults, just a whole bunch of group, a group of other kids. We knew all the people that worked behind the scenes at the Haunted Mansion. We would go outside of the park with adults into hotel rooms at the Disneyland Hotel. Wow. The dancing waters, the whole nine yards. So I was grateful that I had that spiritual foundation with my my mom's circle of friends. But I lost that in 1973 when she got remarried. <laughs> so can yeah, I ask and, and, a question regarding who is Lonnie and Sherry? You mentioned Lonnie and Sherry. They were my mother's friends. They were a part of Calvary Chapel. They never hurt me. Though. They were not the bad guys. They were the good guys. They were the ones that would hold um, Bible study at their home. Um, they drove a Volkswagen bus. Um my mom's cousin, our, our family had a house in Newport Beach. In fact, it was on the other side of John Wayne's house. Um, and one of the cousins um, whose kids were very, very molested, just like I was. I won't, I won't share anybody's name. They'll have to tell their own stories. But just in general, their father was one of my mom's very, very close friends. They were cousins. He took all the furniture out of that house and put a bunch of bunk beds in it and, and started a ministry for the, it was a beach ministry. They would go find the homeless on the beach there in um, Newport um, and, and north and south of Newport. They just traveled the beach, find homeless guys, bring them home and help them to get off of heroin or alcohol or whatever. Um, and it was a revolving door, let me tell you. But they were doing good. They were trying to do good at that time. And it was because I think they were traumatized as kids themselves. This was very generational. My mother's uncles were flat out pedophiles. Like it, it was bad. Really, really bad. Let's just say we have a, a eight year old or a 10 year old that happens to happen upon this video. Okay. Let's just assume okay. What are some things they should look out for, like that, that maybe how a molestation started with you? Can you give people, you know, <laughs> because see, if they're seeing this and they think it's normal, right? So from a normie's perspective, like I don't even know what to say to a person who may be going through it and they've seen this happen all their life, right? But they don't even know it's not normal not to be like that. It's not hard. I have a 10 year old grandson. I started when he was three. I have two boys that are 23 and 24. I started when they were three. No one should ever touch you anywhere that you would, that would be covered by clothes. Okay. Your hands. That's fine. We can hold hands. Yep. They can put their hand on your cheek, your face, whatever, your ankles. But anywhere where you were normally supposed to be covered with clothes, no adult should ever touch you there ever. It doesn't matter whether it's family or a stranger. So if you're on the couch watching the TV with your uncle, your dad, your cousin, your sister, your mother, anyone, and they're touching you somewhere that should normally be covered with clothes, get up okay. and go to the bathroom. Get up, go somewhere else. If it happens more than twice, find somebody who can drive a car. I don't care if you're related or not. 
and tell them what's happening. Those are pretty basic things that any eight-year-old can understand. I got to find somebody who can drive a car. That means they're over 16, they can drive a car. And I need to tell them that my mom's brother has touched me in a place that is uncomfortable. Good touch, bad touch is not hard to figure out. Right. I also taught my boys by the time they were seven and eight years old. If somebody binds your hands, you got teeth. Use them. Yeah. yeah. Use them. So let, let's get back to your story. And uh, you, you said that the abuse started around three, but then you went into the church and stuff like that. But then, you know, there's okay. this whole thing with all your family members and what your parents were doing. I think it's to important get- to let the audience know what happened in your life. Well, to anchor it on a timeline, my birth father and my mother, which we can go into the backstory of that. My, I was a virgin birth. <laughs> my parents didn't have sex. My mother got pregnant with me with a turkey baster. I know that sounds horrible, but it's true. Um, so there was not a connection between the two of them. They were in an arranged marriage. And she didn't want to be in it because who she really wanted to be married to was this other guy. I didn't know what that was at the time, but my mother's stepfather and my stepfather's father were brothers. So my mom was pretty much in an arranged marriage by the time she was six years old to this other guy. But right when she was in, when she was in high school and right after high school, they basically put her in another arranged marriage, which was my birth father. They lasted for a couple of years and then went their separate ways. My mom was single for two years, three, between the time I was three and five years old. And that's where a lot of molestation happened with her family and others. Um, And then when I was five, my mom decided she was getting remarried. So here's what happened. The guy that she was really wanting to be with, his wife um, mysteriously died. And six weeks later, he came to California and married my mom. And a few weeks after, well, a few days after the ceremony, um, we left California and went to Maelstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls, Montana. So now explain why, what he did, uh, the, the new, the stepfather, and why you had to move. Um, well, his wife had died, and he said that he didn't want to raise his two children on his own, so he and my mom got married. Strangely, she was deeply in love with him day one. You know, To me, I didn't understand why she was so deeply in love with this man I had never seen or heard of before. But um, especially yeah. when she had been in love with your father, right? At like, all. At yeah. all. Yeah. She she says they were friends. They made a friendship, but they were never really in love. Well, I understood, you know, I understood all about that as I got older and became an adult myself. Then I figured it all out. But at five, <clears throat> I didn't want to go with him. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to go live with my stepfather. I wanted to go live with my birth father's parents. I didn't want to live with my birth father. I knew he was trash. Um, <clears throat> but I would. I went to visit, and my grandfather told me that it would be safer for me to be under the nose of the Nazis 
And I did not, at five, I did not understand what that meant at all. Um, but their arrangement and their agreement was <clears throat> my mom could take me, she could get married to this guy, and she could leave the area, the Los Angeles, Anaheim area, as long as my grandfather could call me every day and that I could go and see him, like they would put me on a plane and take me to see him anytime he wanted. That was the arrangement. I don't know how or why <clears throat> um, that they they had that kind of agreement. You know, that, that probably wouldn't fly now, but for some reason he had enough information on them that he could control my visitation. I did not go to visit my birth father. It wasn't an arrangement between my mother and my birth father. It was an arrangement between my mother and my grandparents. And the reason why is because my grandfather wanted to have influence on what I knew and what he could teach me. And he did until I was 28 years old. Every day, I mean, he'd call and I'd be like, oh my God, I gotta talk to him again. <laughs> It, but it was it was the way that he could parent me, at least through the phone. Um, and a lot of a lot of the times, I did not tell him what was happening to me as a preteen and as a teenager because I was afraid that he would kill my mother for the stuff that was going on. Because he was very powerful and he was very connected. Um, so he was anyway. also bad. Just to clarify, he was all. Also not good either, right? No, my birth grandfather was actually, um, his IQ was off the charts. And you can go and read his writings online now. He was preparing me and teaching me about everything that was coming because I don't know that he was part of Q, but he knew everything that you guys are learning now. I just didn't realize the level of infiltration that he was involved in because, of course, he wasn't telling me. He didn't want to scare me. But he would write um, articles and have them published. His name was – I'll give it to you later, and you can look it up and read it yourself online. Yeah, that might give away your identity, obviously, yeah, if you give we'll, out his we'll, name. Yeah, we'll go down that rabbit hole later. But um, So he worked for Bank of America. Um, he had a few different jobs in Los Angeles, but he um, he was instrumental in um, getting a lot of the bad guys to out themselves. And because of that, he became a target. So I didn't understand the level of that. And he didn't pass away until 1996. Now I see the level of, of what he was doing. But um mm. And and he told me some other we'll go down that rabbit hole, too, about my ancestry and who I'm related to. But I'll tell you this. My mother is related to Lady Diana. I didn't understand what that meant way back then. Um, but my grandfather was trying to explain it to me. Anyway, so, let's, just, let's carry on because your stepfather turned out to be a bit of a nightmare along with your mother. Oh, and gosh. And I want to I want to get into the chaplaincy and what happened oh, yeah. in the church and okay. then, and in, in the army. I think it's important for people to know the different levels of. Well, it's beyond corruption. 
Well, as soon as my mother and my stepfather got married, we moved to Montana. And um, I could tell now, I didn't understand what it was then, but I can tell now that my stepsisters immediately started abusing me um, sexually at five um, and emotionally and mentally. And you could you can tell now by looking back that they were very traumatized by whatever was happening to them at Maelstrom Air Force Base. To their mother, their mother was, that it was, it was, they said that she died of an epileptic seizure in her bed, but she didn't have epilepsy. And so she just all of a sudden came up with it at 30. <laughs> Wow. And um, so from there, we weren't there for very long. We moved from Montana down to San Antonio to Lackland Air Force Base. And it just amped up there. It wasn't just them, but it was also some of the people that um, <clears throat> my stepfather was a trainer, I guess. I don't even know what the, the title is, but he was doing the officer candidate school there. And he was like a drill sergeant or a professor or whatever. And they were all coming to the house. And it was like a steady stream of people that wanted to molest me. And um, and it wasn't happening to my stepsisters. It was happening to me. And as soon as I started reporting it, it started in the temporary living quarters. As soon as I started reporting it, I started getting punished for lying at five. <laughs> I mean, like. They immediately said, oh, shit, she's going to tell everyone. We've now, got to was do this, at this point in Texas, is this soldiers? Is this your stepfather? Is, well, who, who are no, these it people? It wasn't my stepfather. He wasn't the one touching me. It was two women that worked for him. It was women. In, in Texas, at Saint, in San Antonio, it was women. And... I don't remember their names. I just remember the the main one. She drove a pacer. You don't know, you know what a pacer I is? Remember, yeah, yeah, a little fat pregnant looking car. It was her. Um, and strangely enough, um, it stopped. Um, for the last few months we were there, I figured out that Colleen, the girl that lived across the street, um, her mother was related to Elvis Presley and he showed up there. Crazy, crazy, crazy in a yellow Corvette. We all got to meet him in in the front yard. And within, I don't know, 30 days, we all of a sudden left there. My stepfather decided to get out of the military. His parents had pressured him to go to seminary and become a pastor. They wanted to place him in the chaplain service. And so he was going to have to do four years at Fuller Theological Seminary. So they sent us right back to Anaheim. All right. And I just want to make a point before you carry on with Anaheim and, uh, and the things that happened. But uh, the reason why ladies typically do this, it's mm -hmm. grooming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fully grooming to accept that um, age is just a number. That was yeah. the first time I heard that was from those ladies at ladies, women, they were Air Force officers um, at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. That was the first time, and that was 1974. It's the first time I ever heard the phrase, age is just a number. Why do you think you were isolated and, uh, and your stepsisters weren't uh, going through the same things? 
I think they were older. I think they were going through the same things. They both, they both have a hard, had had a hard life since then. Let me tell you, it, you the the evidence of everything they've been through is all over the events of their lives in, in the 50, 40 years it's been since then, 50 years it's been since then. Um, I've got one sister that has been in and out of mental institutions because she realized the FBI was following her. <laughs> and so they played her out to be crazy. Um, and then my other sister, unfortunately, was married off to we'll go down that rabbit hole later, but my rapist and not just for me, but the guy that my middle stepsister was married to worked for John McCain in Arizona. Um, and his son was military Intel. Uh, my stepfather got both of them, their positions in the, in the military and their positions with Blackwater. So yeah, no, that both Don't of those. Look girls, Don't look here. Huh? I said, don't look here. Right, right. Don't look both, here. Both, of, both of those girls went through just as much hell as I did. Um, and I think that that was why I was able to forgive them is because I knew that I wasn't the only one that was getting this. We, we were isolated from each other as well. <clears throat> well, and they were being taught to be predators in, in some oh, way. Oh, gosh. That's what happens in, to victims. A in lot, every right? way. In every way. They were being taught to be predators themselves, but not just that, but to accept. You know, the whole Eastern Star program was nothing more than brainwashing us to accept that this was our lot in life. This was, we weren't going to have any other control of our lives. The first thing my mother told me at five was not that she was getting married. She told me that we were getting married. We, that I would be married to this man for the rest of my life as a five-year-old. Yeah. She wow. still says it. She still calls him daddy. She still requires all of us to call him <laughs> daddy. Really? After everything that's happened, after him beating me in front of her, after him telling me he should have killed me at five, she wants me to refer to this man as daddy. It is disgusting. Wow. <clears throat> it's a it's a horrible horrible mind control brainwashing so, uh, whole whole nine yards they start when you're five so he go you move back to anaheim and he goes into seminary yes and then tell him tell me what happens as he becomes a chaplain <clears throat> well first thing he had secured his position before we even got there as a youth pastor um, at West Anaheim United Methodist Church. Uh, they had a parsonage on Beacon Street right behind it. And uh, so they put us in there. And um, it was a steady stream of people and um, events and I, I immediately started being molested by several other um, members of the church, their their sons, um, a California highway patrolman. Like I was nine years old and my boyfriend was 36. Wow. You've got they would take, take me to his apartment and just leave me there. And I thought at the time, you know, hey, this guy cares about me. Well, I'm nine years old. I was nine years old. 
what are you supposed to think? Because I mean, they're they've got you they've got you conditioned to thinking this, right? So yeah, they're, I was, they're in charge of conditioning you. They're in charge of feeding you. They're yeah. you know, and and. Oh, and it wasn't just me. It was both my sisters. They were also having their own, you know, their own stuff going on. And my cousins, um, my cousins were. Everybody around you pretty much be abused in the same way. So it, it, it's yeah. normalizing to you, right? It was normalizing to us back then. And I'll tell you what happened in the years since then. Um, basically, all of those women are the real housewives. They were the ones that were behind the scenes that had all the pull and all the control. Like I have one cousin that had a house in Anaheim Hills. Her car was white. Her entire house was white. Every piece of clothing in her closet was white. The carpet was white. The furniture was white, all white and an all white house. And she raised two kids in that house. They were not allowed to have toys or anything that wasn't all white. I mean, the mental illness that comes from all of this is incredible, incredible. They went on to they went on to design some pretty big businesses, um, one of which ties straight to Lynn Wood, but we'll get down that rabbit hole later. But yeah, being groomed that way so young, your entire life becomes sexual. Like everything about your life is sexual. And it was about mine. I, I won't lie. It was completely sexual. Every twist and turn every day had something to do with something sexual. Well, and what you had told me yesterday, I, I, I apologize. We're seeming like we're getting a bad echo here somehow. Uh, uh -oh. But yesterday you were telling me that actually your mother and your stepfather were essentially pimping you out. And it was members yes. of the clergy and so all what, kinds what of would happen is i would get sent to this function or that function or this uh youth camp or retreat or um out for an afternoon with this couple from the church or that and um the the wife and the kids they'd get to go off and do whatever it was and i'd get left there with the dad and yeah be raped or molested or whatever um i um would come back and i would tell my parents what happened and they would call me a liar and then all of a sudden their finances would increase or we, he would get a new promotion um it was it was blatant <laughs> it was it was blatant but you know any time I tried to explain this to any other person and they would come back and try to talk to my parents about it, my parents would make it out like I was some kind of crazy liar, that they were the but, but sweetest were they Christian couple. Oh, yeah, fully. Fully. They would travel. They would take off. Um, my stepfather. Okay, so he went to Fuller. We spent those four years in California um, and then from there, we went to Phoenix, Arizona, to Central United Methodist Church on Central Avenue in Phoenix. That was his first church that he got sent to once he graduated as the associate pastor. Um, and at the same time, he simultaneously went back into the Air Force and he started traveling you know, he had to do his weekends and he had to do his two weeks here and his two weeks there. 
Well, his parents were very much in control of him, very much in control of my mother, very much in control of me and my sisters, my stepsisters. And, um, and they were very much in control of his career path back into the military. Um, his father was, his father was, um, his father was very much in control by recommending, you know, where he go and what he do and what promotions he got. But it was his mother that was very much in control of the, uh, the church portion of this. She was an officer's wife. She brought my mom into the officer's wives club. They planned this and that function. And so it would mean they would leave. Um, and they'd leave us, me and my stepsisters, at home by ourselves. We were all under 15. You know, the, the girls were like 14 and 15. And they would leave us in the care of a youth pastor who would molest us the entire time they were gone. Um, so I didn't go with them on their trips. I don't know where they were going at that time. But I do know now, going back and looking at all the locations that they went to, uh, super, super suspicious, <laughs> super suspicious. And now that I know what I know about the deep underground military bases, now I know that's where they were. They went to several of them. Um, so anyway, when we when we left California and went to Arizona, we were only there for two years. But do, during those two years, I was being ritualistically raped by both of my stepsister's boyfriends. Well, both of those men got great positions in the military. My stepfather put them there. The worst one <clears throat> was um, the father of my nephew, who is military intel. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> His father was not just raping me, but also a group of my friends, um, a brother and sister who were in the Mormon church at the time. He also has over a hundred men who he raped at West High School in Phoenix. He was in charge of the ROTC program. And Did that he get caught? Huh? Did he get caught? Not yet, we're kind of hoping soon. He was protected by John McCain. Can we say his name so that researchers out there can can try? <laughs> sure. But when we do, he's it's going to be tracked back to me. It's okay. Well, I mean, that's up to you. I mean, I don't want to. But well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I will ask this group of people that I know that are fully tracking him. And ask them if they want to be part of revealing on this podcast. We can make a whole segment on that one. Let's okay. let's put a pin in that for sure. Okay. Um, then the reason why is because this whole entire group that's trying to reveal him also reveals the CMEX plant in Tucson. <sighs> yeah. This whole entire group is also being targeted just like me. And I went to middle school with a lot of them. They were good men. And what happens is they get them into ROTC in high school, they rape them, and then they control them for the rest of their lives by saying, if you don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to reveal to everybody that you're gay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this man's brother was also being raped by him. 
And he and I became friends throughout the entire course of our lives until a few years ago when somehow he mysteriously was hit by a truck while he was riding his motorcycle. And the reason why is because he was about to reveal all of this just like I am now. And so, and so I Phoenix really do advise it. you to take some caution uh, before you mention names. Really think right. about it. Don't do it spur of the moment on here. Uh, That's why I'm telling you, when when I know where I am touching too much, um, I we can we can teach people about what was happening without revealing all the names because this particular man that was raping me and my group of friends in Phoenix when I was 12 years old, um, he wasn't working by himself by any means. There was an entire group. We're not talking about there's one bad guy for this and one bad guy for that, it, which is why I know that my stepfather will be executed for treason. The conspiracy theory is that Bush did 9-11. Well, it wasn't just Bush. It was a large portion of the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. You can see them driving around your town right now. They have veterans tags on their cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not saying that every veteran was dirty, but the the percentages of the boomers that were high level veterans, yeah, that's the target audience, guys, <laughs> right there. That's what's wrong with my parents is they know they've been revealed. Mm -hmm. And they're anyway. still alive. You said they're still alive, right? Oh yeah, they're they're right over there in Athens, Georgia, right now, sitting in their house. My stepfather flew to Andrews Air Force Base two days before 9/11 and got his favorite stuff out of his office at the Pentagon. It's in his back bedroom right now. Mm. Yeah. So for the audience, you can see there's some rabbit holes that we can go down. Oh, a here. lot of them. <laughs> and I, I guess, you know, we've kind of given some of the family background in it, and, and I don't want to go too long, but why don't we end on your oh. grandfather who became loose-lipped uh, toward oh, the end of this Okay, life. let's do that. So, okay, so here's the whole point of trusting God and knowing that, those men that taught me when I was five about Jesus, what they also taught me is that the name of the game, the way to win the game of life is to lose the game. And the way to lose the game is you forgive everyone who has ever hurt you for any reason. Most of all, you forgive yourself and you give yourself and your trust and your control of everything over to God. So that's what I did. Even though this man molested me repeatedly, um, guided others to do the same, when he got into his 90s, um, he was in an assisted living back there in T at Tinker Air Force Base in Midwest City, which is right outside of Tinker, um, and he was escaping. And all the little old ladies found out that he had a Cadillac, so they were hopping in the Cadillac with him, and they were driving around town. And they'd get somewhere and forget how to get back. So <laughs> we went and got him and we brought him to Athens, Georgia. And we put him into um, the assisted living that was across the street from where I was working. And I was homeschooling these two little boys. And I decided to forgive my grandfather. His son was here, you know, right there, but didn't want to spend any time with his own father. Well, uh, periodically he'd go over there. But I mean, like, 
nobody wanted to hang out with him or, or whatever. And so I just decided I would forgive him and I would go hang out with him and bring my boys. So my grandfather, when he retired from the Air Force, he became a high school teacher, history. He was pretty good at it. He had a lot of kids that wanted to listen to what he had to say. And as he had gotten older, he'd gotten a little bit, um, I don't know, there was less pressure on him to perform, I guess, whatever he was normally doing. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. They, they had no problem talking in front of all of us kids about what they had done and their ego was so huge and they didn't think anyone would ever believe us if we told anyway. But basically I knew that he had in his mind reconciled the fact that um, they were fighting both sides of the war, the World War II. He was a bomber pilot and he had been part of the bombings, you know, they, they flew over Germany and dropped bombs. And, and he had written several confessions about this, trying to reconcile it in his mind as he got older. Well, I had them. Uh-huh. <laughs> we cleaned out that house in Midwest City and my stepfather ordered me to take all that stuff to the Goodwill and, and throw all this away and put this here and put that there. They sold off 400 Hummels. I mean, they, they had been given gifts for their participation that were beyond valuable. Um, but they wanted us to dump all this stuff in the Goodwill because they didn't want the evidence to survive, right? Mm-hmm. So I put it in my back of my truck and I drove it all the way back to Georgia. <laughs> I still have no, it. No, so I, 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 what I did was I took my boys, I was homeschooling my boys and I took them to Arbor Terrace, which was the little assisted living he was living in every day, five days a week for about four hours a day. And then we'd go back for two hours in the evening. And I let this little 90 year old man um, relieve his conscience and teach my boys. And he taught them all about World War II and how they were fighting both sides of the war. They were helping Hitler. Um, They were frustrating and pissing Churchill off and they were giggling about it. They thought that was the funniest thing that he had to go out and tell the world how proud he was that they won, but he knew they didn't. (laughs) He taught, he was teaching that to my boys. And on top of that, he was teaching them about uh, using his plane to chop up soldiers that were American soldiers with the propeller to make it look like the Germans had done it. I mean, he outed himself in every way. And I was able to talk to him about reconciling what he'd done, asking God for forgiveness. And he saw teaching these boys as his way of um, finally unburdening himself, I guess. Good. Um. And then he, he, you could tell after about a year and a half, he started to really decline. And he, he would put his hand on my hand and tell me how afraid he was. And I'm like, you don't need to be afraid. Uh-uh. Basically, that, that's what becoming you know, old is. We figure out we become more like a child again. We start behaving like we need help. And, and it's a way of God regressing you back to just being dependent on him. Um, and, and he would cry, he would, he would cry, but, um, but then he would smile and he would say that he had never really had that kind of understanding. And now that he was in his 90s, he wished he'd had that understanding when he was younger. 
but oh, did oh, he was so connected. <laughs> and well, let, let me ask the question, Lisa. Um, and I, I, I'm realizing that the echo is coming when our mics are on together, so I just muted you, uh, uh, did not being rude. Uh, but when you said they're playing both sides, the in the in what you're basically putting forward is the Americans were working with the Nazis. Okay, so um, you should have seen these boys, my sons, their eyes getting so big as they were figuring this all out a couple of years ago, like after my grandfather had died. So um, it sent my boys straight to 4chan, I'm telling you. Um, so basically what my grandfather was teaching them was that after World War II, um, he was flying B-52s all around South America and he was collecting menus and hotel receipts and all this stuff um, that we had gotten from that house, right? We went to help clean it out. We didn't throw it away. We brought it back. Well, I put up a huge bulletin board and I started categorizing the stuff and putting it across the board. And then if you put a map behind it, you could take a string and you could find out where they were going and where they, why they were there and who they were visiting. And the reason why we figured it out is because my boys started watching the show Hunting Hitler. <laughs> and they're screaming at the TV. They weren't hunting Hitler. They were flying him around. <laughs> so once all that became clear, you know, our eyes are like, oh, my gosh, he was telling the truth. Holy shit. <laughs> uh -huh. So anyway, all right. yeah, so, the ego well, was huge. The ego was huge. So for the audience, obviously, you've heard a couple rabbit trails that we can go down and uh, there's some stuff about Lynn Wood. There's some stuff about the war. Uh, she, Lisa actually has some uh, inside information from the military about the 2020 selection and what's actually happening there. Uh, in your comments, what program should we do next? Christy, I know you've probably got a favorite. Uh, yeah, there's a lot that I want to know about. Um, the selections, um, Lynn Wood, um, all these are very interesting to me, Jeff, because as you well know, there's many more things I work on other than, you know, being a stay at home housewife um, here <laughs> in Miami, <laughs> which by the way, you know, for those people that wonder, you know, I have, I have a lot of different companies and just actually enjoy being on a podcast um, to actually learn about these things with Jeff and to really expose what's going on and what I find, because I think it's an absolute waste of time and we're having conversations and everybody can't hear them because I'm that transparent. I want everybody to hear and be able to research and things. So Lisa, I really do hope that we can start sharing some names and for researchers out there to be able to dig and find and connect the right. dots. Right. Yeah. And be able well, to like, it's created. And if we don't, if we're not able to start connecting dots, we don't know that it's going on in our backyard and then people just continue right. to go on. And it is a risk for you. I mean, it absolutely is a risk. It's a risk for Jeff to, you know, even lend a voice to you or I. Um, it's a risk every time, you know, we go against something that's the grain. But if we don't go against it, guess what? We're going to be in the gulag. So, you know what? My thing is, before I go to the gulag, 
before I let that happen, I'm going to use, I'm going to use every bit of might and power that I have. And our voice is sometimes the strongest one, our voice, our writing, our connections, our ability to communicate, because guess what? That's what they didn't do in World War II. And we learned that. They didn't educate. They didn't let people know what history is really about. So I'm very interested in the history that you learned. Um, I'm very interested in the selections because I think the selections are where things start to begin with. So that's the reason I'm concerned about those. And and the fraudulent people out raising money. So that has been one of my main focuses um, as far as talking to people like I have talked to in in this shit show that has been my life and the persecution and the targeting that's been my life for the last two years I was raising boys so my number one audience has been guys between 18 and 30 and to get them to anchor why you need to do this why you need to educate yourself and learn all that's going on is I have been able to get them to just look at some very clear things that you can anchor on like a you can tell it's not Joe Biden like that's number one Um, but yes that's what we have to do is we have to get people to realize and recognize and the only way that's going to happen is through conversations until we're all on the same page it's kind of like a dial evil turned it up they turned it up big time and and we have to get all on the same page to turn evil dial right back down yeah And there are some very basic things that we can discuss that anyone, I mean, I can have a conversation with any human being and just give them a few basics I have on a list. And the first thing that you can see is the little wheels start spinning in their head. (laughs) Well, I'm going to leave it for the audience to decide what we should talk about next. Please leave us a comment. Give a thumbs up. We don't ask often enough for that. And by the way, I haven't done this since the very first time, but... Christy has christytasker.com. Use coupon code right on radio. It's really worth checking out, folks. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing site, and there is something for everyone there. And you'll see uh, the fashionista at, at work as well. She really does have an eye. And if you love color, as you can tell just from looking at Christy, uh, she loves color as well. So uh, don't forget to go to uh, christytasker.com. Come. I want to thank Lisa for being here, and we'll see you next time on Right On Radio. So in the meantime, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and Christy, what should they do next? Make a difference in your community and do something now. Exactly. I agree. <laughs>